Welcome to the teachings of the Renew Community. We are a family of Jesus followers seeking to be formed into the image of Christ and to join God in the renewal of all things. We meet together weekly in large gatherings and in house churches throughout Bucks and Montgomery counties. If you'd like more information on the Renew Community, feel free to check us out at www.renewcommunity.org. Caleb just told me good luck following what has already happened. And, and my wife actually likes to joke sometimes. You guys always get up there and say, the sermon has already been preached. And I, I'm sitting here listening to the prayers, to the songs. I'm like, man, God, you just said everything that I wrote down. Um, so there's an echo in the building, I guess. Um, yeah, we're uh, we're excited. Doug and I have been kind of wrestling with with where we want to spend the the fall teaching, and I think a couple of weeks ago it kind of just kind of got honed down. And we're going to be spending the next couple of months uh, with really two verses, two verses where God Himself tells us who He is and what He's like. And so these verses are in Exodus thirty four. Six and seven. Uh, It's up on the screen. And and just a a Bible reading tip, um, if you aren't aware, if you see the the word, it's all capitalized. That is the name of God, Yahweh. If you see it in lowercase, then it's Adonai, which is uh, a sign of respect. So if you didn't already know that, just a little tip here. So I'm actually going to say Yahweh, Yahweh, God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Um, if any of you are like me, you get really excited about verse 6, and then verse 7 starts to squirm a little bit. Um, but I've just been swimming in this and just super encouraged by what I've been seeing. And so I can't do it all today. Um, that's why we're going to take a couple months. Um, but I want to I provide a little bit of context, and we're going to read the passage, a little bit more of the passage that surrounds this, so you can have a picture of what's happening. Um, most of you, many of you are probably familiar with this story, but anybody who's not, um, Exodus is the second book of, of the Bible. In Genesis, begins with God creating the earth. God creating the earth, and then God creates human, humans, Adam and Eve, in his image. He creates them in his image to bear his image in the world, to represent him, to govern, to steward creation. It doesn't go so well. They fall. They disobey God. They disobey God. But God continues to move in these redemptive ways because his plan from the beginning is not going to be thwarted even by our failures. And that's a theme that continues through Scripture. Humans fail in what God has called them to do, designed them to do, purposed them to do. And God moves in redemptive ways. And so God eventually appoints Abraham, Abram at the time, and says, 
this is the one through whom I'm going to work out the fullness of my redemptive plan. This is the family, and so I'm going to enter into covenant with him and his family, and I'm going to, I'm going to multiply him into nations, and they will bless the world. They will fulfill this mission. They will fulfill the redemption plan. But if you've read that story, they're not very good at it. Lots of brokenness from Hagar, Ishmael, Isaac. And then you move into the next generation and Jacob and Esau. And Jacob's like, he's not a good dude. He's deceptive. He's tricky. And yet God, because of what God promised Abraham, says, what I promised Abraham, I'm going to do it through you. And Jacob's kind of like, eh, we'll see. Yeah, if you do it, then I guess you can be my God. That's, that's his attitude. And God's like, all right, I'm going to do it. And he keeps prospering Jacob. And there's continued brokenness even as God is working. And there's these beautiful redemptive glimpses along the way. And Jacob has 12 sons. And his sons don't get along all that well because Jacob wants to play favorites. And, and so Joseph, who, who God has favored, and Jacob has favored, and his brothers don't like that so much. So they sell him into slavery and tell his dad that he's dead. And Joseph is moved to Egypt. But because of Joseph's righteousness and because of his faithfulness, God uses him to save Egypt and the surrounding countries, including his own family, through a famine. So Joseph comes into leadership, and then he actually brings his whole family, the whole tribe, down to Egypt. And so this family has moved to Egypt. And that's where the story of Exodus picks up. But a couple of generations have passed. And it says a king came into power in Egypt. We didn't know who Joseph was. I don't know that guy. But I see lots and lots of people around who are not Egyptian. And that frightens me a little. So let's make them slaves. And so they be the Israelites are afflicted and oppressed in slavery. But God's not thwarted by that. They continue to multiply so much so that Pharaoh's like, uh, we got to slow this down or they're going to take us over. They have this infanticide. But God rescues this one called Moses. And he enters into, the, the, into Pharaoh's court. He's raised in Pharaoh's court. And eventually, as an adult, he sees what the Egyptians are doing to the Israelites. And he sees an Egyptian abusing an Israelite, and he kills him. And somebody finds out. Some people saw it. And Moses is scared, so he hightails it out of Egypt. And finds a family, finds a wife, has a shepherd. And then God tries to get his attention in a burning bush, and Moses takes notice of it and goes up, and God calls Moses to go back to Egypt to deliver his people out. And God demonstrates his power with all of these plagues on the Egyptians, and finally, Pharaoh says, enough, go. And so the people go out of Egypt with much favor from God and from their Egyptian neighbors. They get to the Red Sea, and now all of a sudden the Egyptians are tracking behind them because Pharaoh changed his mind again. God parts the Red Sea and delivers them through. And they come to this mountain 
the very mountain that Moses was at when he saw the burning bush. They come to this mountain and God, these are the people. These are the people that I've covenanted with. I'm going to make you a royal priesthood. And the people are like, yeah, that sounds good. So they enter into this covenant. And it's kind of like this wedding ceremony that gets pictured. Kind of like this wedding ceremony. God's going to make you a royal priesthood. This is what you need to do. This is what it looks like to be in partnership and relationship with God. And the people are like, yeah, we're in. Let's do this. I mean, this God just delivered us out of Egypt. That's a good thing. We could follow him. Let's do this. And, mountain, and uh, Moses goes up to meet with God, and, and God's actually given the floor plan of the house that they're going to live in together, of this tabernacle. Build a new house when you become a new couple. But while he's there, the people get tired of waiting. And the very thing, the very first thing God told them not to do, they do. Creating this golden calf and saying, yeah, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. Yeah, let's have a feast to Yahweh. They put the God's name on this golden calf. Failure. <laughs> epic, epic failure. And this is where we find ourselves in this story. Because God tells Moses, give me rest or leave me alone. I got to get rid of these people. They can't do it. But Moses now begins interceding, and he's there, and he comes down, and he destroys the calf, and he goes back up, and he's just pleading with God. And that's where we enter this verse. Moses and God engaged in this intense conversation about what it means for God to be God and for the people of Israel to be the people of God. And so I want to read, actually, I would love to have a volunteer uh, a couple of people I asked weren't able to do it. So I'm gonna, we're going to do it on the spot. Would anybody be willing to read some verses from Exodus? I can give it to you if you need it. Or you can pull it up. Yeah, Bob. So this is Exodus 33, 18 through 34, 9. Would you like a hard copy? Awful. 33.18. 33.18. 34.9. Then Moses said, now, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord. In your presence, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Uh-oh, I made a bobo. 
these blasted chapter breaks. Which is he, great, actually, because I don't think I ever he realized. Was, he's reading to me. Okay. I didn't think I ever realized that the story is actually continued. I always stopped right there. Mm. Like, but the scene we're about to see is actually what happens. God told him what was going to happen, and now it's happening. Go ahead. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. Throughout, there's a mountain of stuff we could talk about in these verses. You see what I did there? Mountain. Uh, but throughout Exodus, God has been making himself known. That was why he wanted to deliver the people out of Egypt. He said, I'm going to make myself known to Egypt. I'm going to make myself known to you, Israel. I'll make myself known to the nations. And now Moses on this mountain, and, and he says some words that we sang quite a bit earlier. Show me your glory. God says, I'm going to show you all of my goodness. And this is what he says. This is his goodness. Yahweh, Yahweh, God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and truth. God, Moses gets this whirlwind experience of the fullness of God's glory and who God is. And I know that many of us, most of us, have read this many times. And many and most of us have like, oh yeah, those things are true. That's who God is. Yes, absolutely. I want to challenge you, encourage you, invite you, whatever word best prompts you to move forward in this. As we engage in this season, press in deeply to the character of God. These aren't just words that you cognitively believe, but these are things that you get to taste and see of who God is that you can recall stories. Oh, 
I remember when that happened, that was God showing me his compassion for me. Or I remember when I met this person and they were so broken, but I had the opportunity to show them grace and meet them in that space. That, that this becomes not just head stuff, but it, it gets in our heart and then it gets into our hands and our feet. I want to encourage you to press in deeply to encounter God, for him to show you all of his goodness. And, and like I said, that there's parts of this verse that make me squirm a little bit, and they might make you squirm a little bit, and that's okay. It's okay to ask these questions. What's up with that? What's going on? I do want to say this. We get a little, we, we feel some tension in these verses. This was actually deeply encouraging to this original audience. They didn't see this tension. They saw this as, this is God. This is God who's reliable and consistent, and this is who we can trust him to be. In a world with lots and lots of gods, and you weren't sure which one might be flicking his finger at you, or kicking you, or how you could make it right, this was deeply encouraging to them. Oh, God, he's the one who's compassionate and gracious, and actually he's slow to get anger. And if he is angry, it's for a good reason. And we might need to sort that out. I want to encourage you to press in deeply to know God, to dwell in these characteristics of him, to experience him, so that God's heart becomes real and more and more real to you. And that God's character can challenge the idols in your life. And you might think, I've, I've never created an idol. None of us has ever tried to domesticate God, have we? I know I have. What's fascinating is this golden calf. At the beginning, God said, you are to, you are have, to, to have dominion over all creation. You make a God that's a calf, you're supposed to have power and authority over this calf. That tells me one of two things, or maybe both. They either had a drastically reduced view of themselves. Like, oh, we can't do, like, oh, we'll lift up the cow. He can be God. Or they're trying to claim way too much power and authority and domesticate God. Like, oh, we'll have power over God. We can control him. He's just this calf. Humanity has struggled this, with this throughout our existence. Trying to take too much power and authority and lord it over people lorded over God, or shirking our real responsibility that God has actually given us to do. So let God be God and let God challenge the idols in your life. What idol have you created that has ever shown you compassion? What God have you ever turned to that has shown you grace? Let him challenge your idols. And I want to I wanna challenge and encourage you to press in to be transformed according to who God is. Because as we heard uh, Jeff share about hospitality being this, this great space for evangelism, hospitality works best if you have been transformed to carry this character of compassion and grace. Being slow to anger. Can you imagine a, a, a neighbor 
who looks around the world and everybody's pretty quick to anger and they enter into your home and, and they see your kids acting. No, none of your kids act the fool. But you respond to them in patience. Hopefully I can do that. I know I'm growing in that. What's going on with that? The world longs to see the character of God lived out in our life. Longs to see a church that is characterized by the same grace and passion that characterizes God. What's fascinating in the story is how, how Moses, throughout the book of Exodus, is transformed as he sees God's character, as he gets to know God's heart. And we can, we can kind of get a taste of it just by going back to his first encounter and comparing it to this. So there are echoes and evidence of Moses' formation uh, throughout this story. So the first encounter when he sees the bush, he says, it's burning, it's on fire, but it's not consumed. In his second encounter, the people see God, and it appears to them like a consuming fire. So we have this echo back to the first encounter. Notice, though, Moses is not consumed as he encounters God's presence as a fire. In Moses' first encounter, God says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when Moses hears this, he hides his face because he was afraid to look at God. What does Moses say in this encounter? Show me your glory. I'm not afraid anymore because I've gotten to know you and I want to see all of it. And God's like, all right, <laughs> you can't handle it though, so I'm going I'm to hide your face this time. Because you might explode if you see all of my glory. In the first encounter, Moses is like, who should I tell Israel sent me? This, who are you? And Moses gets a name, Yahweh. Tell them I am has sent you. Tell them Yahweh has sent you. In the second encounter, he gets the name. And in biblical literature, name is not just somebody's name, but it's their character. It's their identity. And that's what God proclaims to Moses, right? So in the beginning, it's, yeah, this is how you can call me. This is my name. Now he's getting the fullness of who I am. Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving and just. In Moses' first encounter, he's not too sure he wants this job. And so five times he says, no, pick somebody else. I can't do it. Not qualified. I can relate to Moses. And lots of times I said, no, I'm not qualified to do that, God. Five times he didn't make God's call. In a second encounter now, because Moses has so encountered God and knows who God is, he's now interceding five times for the people of Israel. It's broken. And he, he saw it. He got super angry too. And he's like, this, yeah, these people are obstinate. This is going to be rough, God. I'm going to mess up too. I know it. But he's pleading with God five times. He intercedes. Because Moses has been transformed as he has seen God at work. Because he has encountered God. He didn't just hear God say, I'm compassionate and gracious. He's seen it. He's seen God slow to anger. God could have came to Egypt and been like, Done. Israel, let's get out of here. 
God gives the Egyptians lots of opportunity to see who he is. And many of the Egyptians actually responded like, Pharaoh, dude, do not see what Yahweh is doing. Let's stop this craziness. God is making himself known. Slow to anger. Over and over, he reveals his character to Moses. And Moses is transformed. And he's not a golden calf. He's not a golden calf, but he has the radiance of God. As, as you read further in 34, he comes down that mountain and his face is shining because he has been trans- transformed by the character of God. That is my hope and prayer for us. That we would be a church that is radiant, walking the streets of Lansdale, walking the streets of North Wales, Souderton, Harleysville. As we open up our homes, as we go to kids' sporting events, that we would have the radiance of God's character flowing out of us. So we're going to press in over the next couple months to learn more deeply what these, what these attributes look like in God. Uh, and lastly, I would like us to, to uh, emulate Moses in his intercession. Uh, I heard an interesting story a couple weeks ago about uh, D.L. Moody, famous evangelist, uh, but what I heard is that he had this list of a hundred people. He wanted to know Jesus. And so we would pray for them daily. We would pray for them daily. And if somebody came to the Lord, he'd check them off their, off his list. At the end of his life, 96 of those 100 had come to know the Lord because he was faithful in interceding for them. And at his funeral, the last four came to know Jesus. So who are those people for you that you can intercede, that they would have this encounter with the God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving and just. I want to close with this from 2 Corinthians. We actually talked about these verses a couple months ago, but it fits this story so well. Uh, John, well, sorry, John actually kind of quotes, by the way, this is the most quoted verse in the Old Testament, these two verses. There are echoes of them throughout the Old Testament because this is, this is who God is. It makes sense that they would repeat this over and over again in different ways. Uh, and, and many would say that John actually quotes it to start his gospel. Jesus, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh, full of grace and truth. Tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, full of grace and truth. And so this from 2 Corinthians 3, 18 and 4, 6. God, I pray that we would all be as those with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and that we would be transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord. God, you said light shall shine out of darkness and you are the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of your glory in the face of Christ. God, would his face radiate on ours as we get to know you more and more. Show us who you are. Show us your glory. Amen. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. Notice what Moses does as soon as he hears God declare this about himself. 
Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Bowed to the ground and worshiped. If God is who he says he is in this, then he is worthy of our worship and our praise. 